Jesse, let everyone know who you are, what you're all about, kind of some cool things about your past and all that. Cool. Uh, so my name is Jesse Cannon. Uh, I am known when we're on the YouTube for I do a channel called Muse Formation where I discuss creativity for musicians, but I also discuss how to go from zero to 10,000 fans. Um, I've mostly been in music, a record producer, mixer and mastering engineer in the punk, emo, hard rock world. Uh, I wrote one of the most popular books on how you build a fan base called Get More Fans. I also wrote a book called Processing Creativity, and I've done a ton of podcasts about music over the years, and uh, I'm a professional podcast producer, and I think that's most of my resume. I kind of forget all the things I do sometimes, but <laughs> uh, yeah, but like what I'm very passionate about talking about, I think what I'm most known for is I talk a lot about music marketing. I've worked in music marketing uh, at majors and indie labels throughout my life. I write lots of plans for DIY artists, and uh, that's kind of the world I'm in in the New York City indie label type thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just I believe that the music world gets better when we hear from musicians and there's a democratization of music. So I try to just get that stuff out. And plus, uh, as much as I've resisted in my life, it's just what I'm interested in. So I just keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And, and, you know, for everyone who here that hasn't seen his channel, I did put a link in the description. Hopefully it actually saved correctly. Um, but it's Muse Formation, like M-U-S Formation. Yep. Um, and if you like my channel, you love his channel. He he's, doesn't have any, like, fluff or, like, inspiration-based marketing content. He's actually has, like, <laughs> actionable stuff. Um, so you know, When I say things like that, Andrew, I, I get accused of, uh, of being <laughs> malicious towards other people. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, like, I think there's a place for that kind of stuff. But um, usually mm -hmm. people that watch my channel appreciate the kind of, like, just like raw exposure of data and opinions, you know? And so I, th I think you're, you're kind of in that same boat. Like you're just like, yeah, I, like I said, the way we started talking is somebody, I feel like somebody put a comment on one of my videos as if it was going to bait me to say something bad. And I'm like, I actually like Andrew's channel and I subscribe <laughs> to every one of the channels. And you know, yours is one that I'm like, Oh, this is a person who's just doing their best to honestly find answers and find things out. Whereas a lot of people I think are, thinking they're going to be big time influencers and mm. grift people for a lot of shit that I find really reprehensible. Yeah. yeah and that's kind of been the whole concept between me and my music marketing videos is it's, it's me sharing what I'm doing and what's working and also what's not working. And then talking to people who are experts in things that I'm not in. Um, mm -hmm. And so actually, I mean, one thing that might be a cool transition is, you know, you mentioned you had a couple different areas of experience working, working at labels. And I think you dropped like mm -hmm. Warner, at one point in your in one of your I, videos, I, so 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 until uh, COVID for two and a half years before that, I was at Warner Music Group doing uh, podcast production and marketing, where we would it was a very interesting uh, thing. So Warner had two initiatives for us, which is one they wanted to actually show the DNA of what goes into it. So I did this series called Inside the Album, where I would do the most no label ever let somebody like we've all seen those classic albums vh1 documents this mm. was like actually like letting me go in and ask like hard-hitting questions about how artists are actually shaped and you know obviously they wanted this to be beneficial to the artist 
but I got full editorial control and I got to talk a lot about the actual creative process and like show the realistic things like that. You know, I'm somebody who came from punk rock, major label skepticism my whole life. Like I, I joked when I took that job that my 19 year old self would kick the kick my ass <laughs> for taking a job at a major label. It was so disgusted with myself. But what I learned was, yeah, there's a lot of shaping of the artist going, but also there was a lot of exaggerations of what people would always tell me was happening. And mm. so I got to do this, these couple different podcasts where we really, really got into it. And I also got to sit in marketing meetings and see how we really build artists. But the most interesting thing, which shapes a lot of my YouTube channel is, I also was basically as artists were getting signed a lot of time, I was like doing initial interviews with them. I was learning how they got there. Mm. And that always to me, and it's something I've been doing, I didn't realize I'd been doing it for the last 10 years. It's like all the interviews I've been doing on podcasts, or I used to have, Musformation comes from a blog I had where I was one of the first blogs that was about DIY musicians 10 years ago, um, is I was learning how artists really actually build them up because I themselves, because I think there's just so many lies out there and there's so many people, you know, there's like these like indie survival guide type books <laughs> that would just be total lies to people and just useless information. So yeah. I've kind of dedicated myself to find that out. And this last thing that I did when I was at Atlantic really was like, a whole new world of learning for me, even though I've been doing this since 1999. Wow. So yeah. in terms of, I mean, this probably varies a ton, but when, let's say for, I mean, you might not know the exact answer to this, but you know, mm -hmm. Warner, when you saw a new artist come in, um, what's, what's some of the steps that Warner would take to kind of, you know, break that artist if they already weren't broken? Like what are the main kind of like two or yeah. th two, three, four things they would focus on? So I, I just wrote a video on this that's in the pot pipeline. So this is okay. very easy for me to do. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of what one thing you do is like, so let's say this is, I, I think this will be the most helpful to say. Let's say it's an artist, which is a very common scenario. They went into the studio and they sang on a song that did well with a producer group, let's call it in the EDM world. So mm -hmm. like a cash cash or whoever. And what they would then do is they go, okay, well, you got to start finding who you are. So what do you do to find out who you are? You write with a ton of songwriters and producers. So they're going to throw you in the studio with everyone in the book and lots of really talented people. And then you're going to start discovering who you are. And what you see over and over again is eventually what happens is you find that like, ooh, that's what works for their voice. That's what works for their style. And then that becomes the album style. Like, you know, hmm. you can literally watch it traced a lot of the time that you're like, you'll see the singles they're dropping because we have to also remember, you know, these artists are just like DIYers. Warner's doing the same thing I tell everybody to do, which is release a ton of singles before you ever yeah. put out an LP. Like you look at Cardi B, you know, she had out a bajillion songs before that LP. Right. And when I saw how many songs they had her write before that LP, it was like a hundred fucking songs. Wow, um, really? So they, they write like 10x more songs uh, than they need or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I just made a video, too, about Rick Rubin, about how he shapes albums. And even when he gets in with a band, he makes them write two and a half albums for every album they release. <laughs> and they leave one on the cutting room floor that never gets recorded. And then another half album that they record. And that's the bonus tracks. And that really is the thing. Now, a lot of people, that's really discouraging. But that really is how you shape it. Now, let's also go backwards a little because I don't want to get too crazy with the Cardi thing mm -hmm. is that. 
some of the smaller artists are not going to write a hundred songs. Cardi was obviously getting amazing traction. So they're yeah. an investment, but that's another thing I learned there, which is that they were watching what worked. Like, you know, I, in two and a half years, there's a very funny thing you can do with every major label, which is um, you can watch their roster expand and contract. If you just do a screenshot on it <laughs> about January 7th, 8th ish, let's call it of each year. If you just screenshot that the purge usually happens right before the new year and you wow. see a whole lot of artists who aren't going to be on that roster anymore uh and it, you'd be shocked how many of those artists don't get a further investment because they gave them a video they gave them a bunch of production and then it didn't work out i mean one of the things i also always tell people because i work with a lot of artists who've been signed to a major label is the majority of the big artists you see in the world uh were signed to a different major label before the one that it hits with Mm. Um, that's one of the most consistent stories I see on a regular basis. But to yeah. get back to your question, I keep and feel free to keep me on course. Cause no, I no, it's, 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 it's good <laughs> to hear all this kind of like side, side commentary on how, you know, stuff at labor works. So I'm sure everyone here and, you know, feel free everyone in the chat to let me know. I'm sure you're all interested in that kind of stuff. Cause I sure as hell am. <laughs> so, you know, feel free to go off on as many tangents as you want. So I think one of the most interesting things in this form is a lot of what we'll get into about Facebook ads too, is that what you'd see is, is that they then find a song. So the A&R has worked with the artist to develop a good song and they're like, okay, it is now time to invest in pushing this song to the world. So we're now gonna have our playlist people, our get you a music video director, and we're gonna put some content out into the world and we're gonna start trying to see you. They then give you, so you then move from this was one of the most interesting things I learned too is, so the A&R is only working on the songs with you and the initial scouting of finding you. But then you go to a product manager who is really a marketing person. And that person is then gonna take you and they're gonna figure out some things to do. But mostly when you're a small artist, they're gonna just make a music video. Maybe they're gonna think about how you go to radio. They're gonna do a lot of rounds. Now, one of the things we would do with the podcast is like they'd have me make a podcast that kind of told who an artist was very fast. So they could actually mm. circulate that to booking agents and lawyers and other team members to try to get people excited about that artist as they tell that story. Yeah. And you know, we can get into how important the story is in a different thing, but uh, they'd tell the story. And then if that got traction, then maybe they'd start investing in other things. But until a song got traction, you're probably just getting that video and a little bit of playlist pushing and things like that, but you're getting the bare minimum marketing until they see that this is somebody worth throwing way more money on because you have what I like to call a susceptible song where lots right. of people hear it and they're susceptible to liking. Okay. So that's all very interesting. That's, it's, you know, I've, I've, it's, you know, that kind of information is very rare to hear unless you like know someone at a, at a label. And I guess now I do know someone who used to work. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm also lucky. My girlfriend's been in this business and worked with some of the hugest, most interesting. She works with much more left field artists. Like she was at warp forever. So she's working with apex twin flying Lotus and all these yeah. really interesting artists. And you see a very similar thing there too, is the pop thing is not much different from the weirdest artists and how they get big. Yeah. So for, you know, you mentioned that the artist, they'll get funded for a video and then like might get some playlist promotion do, do big labels. Do they use places like 
playlist push and submit hub or they were even further and use like the sketchy ass ones that like <laughs> no no so 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 here's an interesting thing so what my girlfriend actually does is she works at a distributor who is like what's called all the biggest indie labels are on this distributor there's about four distributors that handle every large indie that's not a major so she works at the one that i would say like if you're in indie rock that's the biggest one hmm. uh and she pitches for placements at uh, Apple at the streaming services. So uh. the major labels have direct pitches and direct lines to people. And let's also say this, the A&R people usually are going out to drinks with the person right. who runs the big rap caviar and things like that. And I will tell you that firsthand. I know it because what my girlfriend has to do for uh, extracurricular activity is she wines and dines the Apple Music rep to get better placements. And we go out and we pay for her drinks. And <laughs> That is the reality of what you do deal with in this is that, you know, so like what I tell everybody is like, obviously most uh, DIY musicians are on a TuneCore, DistroKid, a CD Baby. I hope you're not on CD Baby personally, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> but they're not going to pitch anything for you. So then you need yeah. those other things. You need to either be doing the DIY methods using playlist supply and researching playlists yourself and doing pitches or you need, and you know, obviously using the Spotify playlist tool, but what you then do is you then when you have some traction, let's say you have a song with 500,000 streams is you can try to get on an AWOL or a STEM or believe whoever the bigger music distributors that handle just artists that are uh, not on labels. And then you can have somebody on your side who's actually going to pitch you for playlist uh, things and then get on that. And, you know, let's say this. Yes, there's a lot of hope. I think there's more hope for DIY artists than ever because Spotify really does do a lot of DIY artists huge favors, in, especially in certain genres, with getting them on big playlists. But there is an unfair advantage that I watch when uh, yeah. we're out buying dinner for people and drinks for people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I talked to someone who said that he had like a contact that managed a, like a couple specific playlists at Spotify. And because he had that relationship, he was able to like leverage getting his songs there more often. Um, That's true. And then he mentioned at some point Spotify had some kind of purge where they like were trying to make it a little more objective, or maybe you might say make it a little more exclusive to the majors. And <laughs> one might be one way yeah. to look at it. But and, and and that is actually a thing I talk about a lot that is very disturbing. Is like we had this really good period a few years ago where there was a really good democratization, but now what you're seeing is the overdue influence of the major labels and the large indies is just shrinking down so much of it. You know, it's like a very funny thing you can even see is when you click the new release tab on Spotify, it's like actually comical how you can go to the trending charts and not see any of the artists that are doing really well that have no label affiliation than that. I mean, my girlfriend will mm. always laugh. I'll go on, I'm really into like the genre hyperpop. So like I'll click that playlist on Spotify. I'll be like, oh wow, that fifteen-year-old Glaive I really like. So I'm, and she's like, oh well, he must have a distributor now, because <laughs> no one's getting that picture without a distributor. I don't care how well that fifteen-year-old's doing. Yeah. So for for an indie artist, you know, that doesn't want to even sign to an indie label, they don't want to sign to a to a to a large label either. Um, you know, what, what would be your main, like outside of making, you know, great music, making great social media content, engaging their fan base, like all the stuff that's kind of assumed before you even get into marketing. Um, what would, what would you tell someone like their path forward? If, if all these playlist 
opportunities are kind of just out of their reach. Um, you know, what, what would your advice I don't, be? I don't want to characterize it as out of reach uh, because that's in reach for indie artists. Like, you know, the guy I'm interviewing tonight has huge success with that. So I don't want to say okay. that, but maybe maybe let's characterize it uh, as, and I'm sorry, like, you know, I'm very big on the nuance of this stuff. So I, I, I want to yeah. not sound like I'm saying something I'm not saying. Uh, what I would say is this is, uh, I'm very big in, and this is why I don't like the Facebook ad thing, which I'm sure we'll get into, is I'm very big into community. Mm -hmm. So part of what I would say is, like, I got to talk to all these artists. And, you know, it's a consistent thing I've done for a decade is I've gotten to talk to artists about how they ascended upwards. And that is through community. Now, what I mean by that, since it's a very vague term, is this, is the artists who do well have a consistent thing of that, they're one, just like we were talking about what the major label does, is they're writing with tons of other people. Now that could be genre specific. If you're in a metal band, you're not going around writing with other metal bands. Right. If you're in EDM or a pop artist, that is the name of the fucking game. I mean, yeah. I remember when the Chainsmokers seven years ago were just a group who would find everybody on the hype machine and they'd be like, hey, do you want to do a song together? And it finally worked for them after they did a million fucking songs and they became yeah. the world's most annoying band. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, but what I'm saying here though is you're one, reaching out to people. Now two, let's say you're a rock band. What mm -hmm. you're reaching out to people is maybe you're gonna tour together, you're gonna play shows, you're gonna trade shows, you're gonna put each other in the featured artists. You may do, like one of the things I tell everybody to do is go on Instagram live with somebody who's similar than you and just talk for an hour and play each other's songs to the audience and you will trade fan bases. And yeah. that community stuff is what I see really gross. Now, so now then it goes even further, is that those bonds you make with people in the community and by doing things right now, other part of the community is message boards. I saw, for example, you just put up a message board. Oh, yeah, I have yeah. one on Facebook group. Time, one of the weirdest things that people overlook is like the origin story of so many huge artists is now is, oh, I met that person in a message board and we became good friends. And then the one got popular first and then they brought the other one along. And yeah. back in the day, you know, I'd think of this as My Chemical Romance went on tour with the used when the used were bigger than them. Then about mm. two years later, yeah, they're way My bigger. Chemical <laughs> Romance was way bigger and they took the used on tour and vice versa. And it keeps going back and forth and then they're doing a reunion tour together and it's just like, you know, it, th these relationships keep re-upping things and they keep giving opportunities. So becoming friends with the people who are similar to you, that are exciting to you, and like doing that research of going through SoundCloud tags, going through Bandcamp tags, and finding who are the people you vibe with and making relationships with them is like literally people underestimate it, but it is everything. And it's also, you know, it, I think, it, so I've managed, a, one of the things I forgot in my bios, I managed a mm. bunch of successful punk bands. So people would be like, oh, well, how'd you do that? I'm like, yes, we made a lot of smart decisions, but the best trait of all those bands and many of the bands I've worked with that have been successful is they make friends really well. And yeah. it's not an unnatural thing. It's not networking. It's that they're just genuinely interested in talking to people and they're good at hanging with people and they've extended themselves and they really enjoy it and that's what keeps them on the road and keeps them doing cool things with other people yeah and i, I talked to someone last night um, i don't know if you saw that that live stream but it was with someone named um zan griffin and he's built himself up to like you know right now he's like one hundred and twenty thousand monthly listeners and he 
peak was like 500,000 monthly listeners on Spotify mm-hmm. alone and 100% organic, basically. Like he did a bunch of remixes. He networked the hell out. Like he started making music when he was nine and he's only 20 now. Oh, wow. And um, he just said like, you know, he had all this free time. So he would just email everyone, like hundreds of people a day and build relationships and actually like, you know, do favors for people all the time. And to the point where when he, you know, he needed to secure some kind of, you know, unique remix or get permissions for something or do or work with someone, it was just, you know, fell in place because everyone appreciated the the community that he like input into the community. Um, and so it's nice to bring that up because it's it resonates a lot with the message that he was saying as well. Yeah, and I like and to that point, like remix is a is a perfect thing for people. And like you know, it's like the funniest thing that I keep finding is like people will be like, "Well, I'm not an EDM artist. I can't do a remix." And I'm like, "Yeah, uh, well, let's let's actually think about this." Both Adele and Gautier uh, credit their early success to the fact that those vocals for all the songs that we think of as their sound were actually in a million remixes and that's how those songs got broke both mm. both those artists had those songs out for nine months and then they were being put on the dance floor and then people would listen to the original and get converted and mm. that helped bring everything up remixing and what i also call it like recontextualization one of the funniest things i saw too at atlantic would be that an artist would release a song and then they'd want to keep the momentum going and they'd be like, okay, let's do a stripped down version. Okay, let's do a version with strip. Yeah. And then that song would boost up the original version or become the popular version yeah. um, of the yeah, song. Yeah, it's, it's true because like in addition to an EDM artist like doing remixes of other people's stuff, you know, you do see artists who wouldn't do like their own remixes, like either hiring or finding other people to do remixes for them. And then they credit them on that release as they're the remixer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, either they're some artists will do a contest like i know elenium does like remix contests and a lot of big edm artists will let other people remix their songs um but yeah you always see these other versions and they're probably just hired out or you know done for free and sometimes they do very well and and that is the thing is like that is so much of the game to me uh is finding that finding people vibe with and you know like the best thing too about remixes and collaborations and features is it's long-lasting cross-promotion you know like one of my friends she was talking about that like this producer she worked with just got big and now all of a sudden she's seeing one of her songs is doing well way really well but then that's trickling down to about 10 percent of those people start listening to the rest of her stuff because she has a great voice yeah yeah that's cool so let's go to the 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 spicy part of this chat yeah so (laughs) um so jesse has a a video on his channel actually a few talking about his um his general dislike of using facebook ads to promote music and you know someone actually originally like recommended i hit you up like a few months ago like they they were like Mm -hmm. a fan of yours um Mm -hmm. and i like checked out your website and then forgot to email you and then i was just like your video got recommended to me one day and i watched it and i scrolled down the comments um, and I see someone like writes a comment like Andrew Southworth is the go to Facebook ads. And I was like, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And then I, I, I you know, I, I see you're in there and then, you know, I send you a message yep. in there and here we are. Um, yep. And so um, you, you bring up a lot of good points in that video. And surprisingly, I agreed with most of the things you mm-hmm. said. And there, there were some things that the, even the disagreement was more subtle than like a hard, hard disagreement. Yes. So. I guess I'll start with how like a lot of the things that I recommend people do before they get into Facebook ads 
and then you can kind of frame your perspective on it and that way we can mm -hmm. kind of see where the differences are um so you know this probably gets lost you know all the people in the chat that watch my videos i do a lot of stuff about facebook ads but i actually have videos talking about social media strategies and and other like re how, releasing singles versus albums um the bear the biggest assumption before you get into any kind of paid marketing or even marketing in general for me is that i think your music should be at least 80 percent as good as anything that's on the radio if you're going to promote it at all mm -hmm. um and i also think it's good for people to get into doing kind of organic marketing like social media strategies around every song you know hitting people up trying to build relationships um, you know, one reason for that is so you can figure out what your audience is and kind of establish your sound before you spend money. Because if you, you know, for one, if you only have one song out and you start spending money in ads, it might work out well if your song's great. But it's, if you only have one song, like the person's going to get there, they're going to see one song. There's not going to be enough material for there for them to stick. And so you don't have yes. that stickiness factor. And same with Instagram. If you have like three posts and you send someone to your Instagram, like, why would they follow you? You don't put any content out. Um, so those are all the kind of things that, that, you know, I don't mention them in every video, but I think it's good for artists to have before they get into not just Facebook ads, but like submit hub or, or like even just emailing people because your stickiness factor is, is going to be bad. And so I guess for you, Jesse, I don't know if, what, what is your perspective on, on the Facebook ads for everyone watching and how does it contrast anything part of that? Well, everything you said, I was pretty, much agreements with. I guess what I'll double down on is that I tend to really find that specifically that the artists who have not really made like what I call is enough material to build a relationship with. So what I mean by that is, is I talk a lot about building up the momentum to your great songs. So like, you know, obviously we want to be writing our best songs over and over and over again, but you know, yeah. we also know the reality that, you know, some songs of a dud. Some yeah. songs flop. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's also so subjective. Like, you know, it's funny, like I listened to a bunch of your music and uh reading up to this, and there's certain songs I'm like, damn, this slaps, and then there's certain <laughs> songs I'm like, Yeah, that's not not as good as the other one that I thought slaps. Yeah. Um, and I, I bet and, those are probably the ones, the ones that you you like more than others, or probably the ones that naturally like ended up doing way better in my ads and then the algorithmic playlists, like yeah, <laughs> I, I, I saw it correspond because I did the experiment while watching your video where you talked about this. Mm, yeah. I wanted to be very well homeworked on this. Um, so anyway, uh, what I see is that you need to have enough material to build a relationship with for when you get attention. So what we used to talk about before everybody was talking about Facebook ads, since I, what I, I should also say the background is like a lot of my issue is not that I don't think Facebook ads can't work. I just think that they work so rarely compared to how many of the grifters on the internet are selling. Um, there's just, a, and I should say, when you saw that, I said, I liked your work a lot because I think you're very honest about what the results are. I like that you publish real numbers, not this bullshit <laughs> graph that these fucking yeah. assholes put on facebook like i'm gonna make you dudes here's well, a graph here's you got two million impressions and then you realize impressions yeah, yeah. mean absolutely nothing it's it's, it's yeah, yeah. Well. so <laughs> yeah i mean so here's my point you need to have all this material that can have build a relationship with so a great example is like i often find a lot of the music i listen to on tiktok and then i go to spotify after i hear a song that i like the hook on tiktok 
Hmm. And some people I get there and I'm like, oh, there's nothing to build a relationship here. I put it on the playlist and I probably don't think about them again. Or if I'm real, if they really put a pressure on me, I may be hitting shuffle on that playlist and go, oh, I wonder what that group is up to if they put out anything new. But they didn't have anything to build a relationship. Now, whereas yeah. like there's these two artists I'm really into now, um, Alden and Glaive. I found them through TikTok. I go there and I'm like, oh, they have seven songs. And I'm just listening, you know, it's been over 30 days that I am just on this playlist I have of the two of them on repeat all the time while I'm writing. And um, that was enough to build a relationship. So the biggest problem mm -hmm. that you were outlining is, is that people get to your profile and there's nothing to build a relationship with. They're probably gonna forget you. They're not enough good material to then do what we've all done when we love a group, which is build a relationship and wanna keep knowing about them, wanna keep staying in touch and thinking about what they're doing. Like, you know, the funniest thing with music is you have this thing that they emotionally conflict with you and then you wanna know more of their story, you wanna know all of mm. these things. One song, uh, that's gonna be a yeah. far stretch. Um, so yes, there's that. And then there's a lack of the thing I talked about before, susceptibility. That most mm. of the songs, even if somebody liked it. Now, I know one of the things you talk about very well and I think communicate really well is that you need to know the similar artists that are gonna get you like, you know, um, being broad and just doing the biggest acts in a certain genre is not gonna do it. You need to go into what I like to call micro genres of finding mm. who are the smallest groups that people are identifying with. And then the biggest problem with that becomes that Facebook doesn't allow you to identify lots of small. Right, yeah. Groups. That's a huge problem I have. Like even, like one song I did, I, I modeled the song off of Elenium. I don't know if you know Elenium. Um, I do. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of his music and I, and I kind of close to that style. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to make this as, as marketable to his audience as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not targetable on Facebook ads, despite being a gigantic international superstar artist. And yes. a lot of hip hop artists have this problem too, when they're running ads, mm -hmm. is that a lot of these hip hop artists are new or they have like sketchy affiliations, like lots of drug references. So Facebook doesn't include them. Um, mm -hmm. And they have trouble too. Um, yes. And then the other problem being that a lot of people do not direct people to like their Facebook page like they did 10 years ago is that they're I, you know, wide variety of genres. When I sit, sit in meetings with people, it's like, yeah, we don't want to mention your Facebook page because we want them to I follow you on Instagram and Spotify and they're not going to do three things. Yeah. Yeah. That whole like multiple ass thing and you end up getting zero. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's that, that is correct. And and so like that is that makes that part really tough is that you can do that. And then something I know you've gotten into in your videos is that then you can really fuck up your algorithm because you're bringing people who are not susceptible to your music in and Spotify is going to look at you and say, why do we promote this person? Everybody who hears it thinks it's trash. Right. They don't come back and listen again. They don't do the thing. Whereas that community thing I talked about, that finds the people who are going to do it. You become similar. You know, you're reaching out to the similar artists on your Spotify page. You're talking to them. You're getting recommendations that are organic and you're finding the blogs and the message boards they're on. That gets you a reinforcement structure that builds what I, what I talk about as momentum in mm. the right way. So it's, it sounds like a lot a lot of your problem with with Facebook ads isn't necessarily that um, it, it sounds like it's more like on user error than than anything like people are, are using their ads they're, they're using ads when they shouldn't be or if they're using them mm. they're using them incorrectly or they don't realize they're using them incorrectly and they keep spending money that they 
you know might not be doing them enough enough good right yeah like one of the things i talk about is like a 4x occurrence or a 4x uh phenomenon so like let's say you have a song that does four times better now granted four times better when it's you've only had a thousand streams it's four thousand isn't really tell you something but what i say is then pour more fire on it so the big thing is so like let's say we check the boxes you have enough good material to build a relationship with um you also have some like what we like to call social proof now i don't always love this term because apparently it's from that book the game about guys <laughs> pick up girls and that's not so fun but social proof does have a interesting thing to it which is that so for example i did another podcast um after that facebook video i made with my friend matt bacon matt hmm. does tons of marketing for metal um is a really really smart guy on marketing and uh so matt uh, talks about the, how like the label thing works really well because the label is a social proof. People are like, oh, I know oh, yeah. that label. I like other things. So the ads are going to actually do way better compared to a DIY artist because you have the signatures. So what I say a lot of the time is, so let's say you've gotten a good social proof in that you got a review from the magazine everybody knows or an artist has said something nice about you or you're touring with this artist. If you have good cosigns, the ads can be very effective because that is what advertiser works. One of the main ways I used to break groups about 10 years ago is that since when you go on tour, you could always send posters to every venue. So we would just put every cosign on the poster possible because then it's like, oh, well, I should know about who this is. And yeah. that did worlds of good for us. And that advertising principle works just as well on Facebook ads. It's, so it's almost we, like that effect when you see a Burger King ad and there's like a football player in it, right? Like it's kind of like yes, a, a yes, social proofing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, same, same principle. Um, but so the point being, uh, most people do not have these things going. So they're just going to give Mark Zuckerberg, who's a horrible force in this world, more money <laughs> and burn their own money when they could be, in my eyes, spending that money better by. So a lot of my thing I talk about is the building relationships. So what builds relationships, music videos and producing YouTube content, just as you're doing around your music, builds relationships with it. People want to know, know more. People want to go deeper. Uh, yeah. And really you know i made a whole video on this is that like you can see some artists who this like ignites their career in that they know how to talk to people they know how to express their vulnerability there's this artist i work with named cave town who has i think three million subs on youtube uh and uh he has massive artist is now on a major label now uh but he is a romantic and he talks about that uh, he's incredibly good about talking about the gear he uses to record. He's just a great communicator and it's, he's making great music, but that other side to it is that because he's able to find a connection with his audience and something else, it pours gasoline on the fire he's already created. Yeah. So on, on just to kind of, um, I guess be going the, the devil's advocate to what you're saying. Yes, how, yes, please do. How would you explain like, you know, for me, like using Facebook ads, the, the, fantastic results that I, I get and share and then also like a lot of people who do do the same thing i'm doing for my videos or for my course for my consulting and then you know not just on my side but people that like mm -hmm. entrepreneur i'm sure you know entrepreneur i do um they there's a lot of people in their group too that that get really good results now they tend to focus more on merch and so it's a kind of different avenue yes um but i hear like you know it's not just myself a lot of people just doing what i do 
and for, it doesn't work for everyone. Like there's definitely people who struggle, but for a lot of people, it just works great. So how would you explain that? So what I would say is the great is a measured success metric. So what we're saying is like when I'm normally discussing this is I'm discussing how you ascend to be a person who has a sustainable, you can go to every town and play to 500 people dash you have a million uh, monthly listeners that is sustainable. Okay. So when, because here's what, here would be my thing. What I liked so much about you, and I, I should also pay you the great compliment, is when I first watched your videos, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I saw a very honest voice who's showing actual numbers. So here's the thing. We all aspire, at least most of us, to have a high metric. The problem is, is that what I'm railing against is that these Spotify, uh, Facebook ad con artists all tell you is you're going to have a million players, you're going to have a million mm. listeners, it's sustainable, it's going to go forever. Yes, you're making good traction. You know, one of your last videos, you talked about the thing of like, hey, this is setting up the next single for success. I am all about that. I am not about the expectation that yeah, the you, you're going to become a superstar is, and you're going to be yeah, the, the radio the, 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 and... Yeah, everybody's selling that this is going to be the thing that breaks you. It's not the thing that breaks anybody. It's no one's origin story. Yes, somebody could get lucky and the right person sees that ad. But I would, I would also argue with that every music marketer talks about this, that Facebook ads don't get you to the right people for things. They're usually the lowest bar fan that doesn't like one of the problems you talk about all the time is that the people don't stick around and keep doing things. So hmm. It's very rare that you get good fans because most of the good fans are skeptical and they have enough recommendations from trusted sources that they're never going to click an ad. They're only going to be like, okay, I trust this person to tell me what's good. I listen to Zane Lowe or I watch this playlist. They trust different things. So, and then as well in the community, most of those message boards are filled with people who are actually doing things in that can get you there. They're the intern at the record label you want to be on. They're the promoter mm -hmm. in that city that may book you. They're the right people. So when you focus on the community, now the other reason I don't like the Facebook ads is everything we do, we put some level of trust that this might be hoping. And then we're saying, okay, the problem is solved. Like there's actually this funny thing. This is former record producer, Daniel Levitin. He produced uh, the famous song, Don't Fear the Reaper. Uh, he then became a neuroscientist because he's a smart enough guy to get out of record production, uh, wrote this book called The Organized Mind, where he talks about is, is that our brains, when we think of problem solved, we're like, good, but then we experience massive disappointment when we trust things that don't solve a problem. So one of the things I see over and over again is that people get their hopes up too high about the results of the Facebook ad, and then they're crushed and debilitated and don't want to promote and they go through one of those three month lags where they don't do anything and they don't hmm. do the thing I which I talk about all the time, which is consistent, sustained promotion. And yeah. that's a whole nother thing of what, how Facebook ads would work better for you and some of what you've talked about. Um, and so my thing is, is it's a false bill of hope for so many people. So it's not that I don't think that you can get results, but I don't think the results are always the best allocation when I think you can build relationships better by putting that money into a video that tells a story about you that can be building a relationship. I think you could be taking your time to put into community. I think that there's just better better ways to allocate the resources you have at your disposal is the way I would put it. Hmm. 
So for so for someone making a video, you know, let's say they they were, weren't going to go with Facebook ads and they were going to make a video, and mm -hmm. I mean the, the community building stuff is I guess that's mm -hmm. more of an organic and free method, but well, yeah. how would they get that video out there in in the first place? Well, you know, once if they go and let's say they pay you know, even a cheap rate to get like $500 to get a video, which would be pretty cheap. I mean, I guess they could do it themselves. Yes. Too. Yes. That's, that's, yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's great, there's great videos being made for under 500, but, but, but so let's call it, I see indie bands get great videos for one to three K very regularly. Like that's not yeah. an, a exception to the rule. That is part of the rule. I'd say it's not the greatest part of the rule, but it's, it's a part of the rule. Yeah. Uh, so, so like you do, once they have that, you know, what's what's the next step and then how can they actually utilize it? So part of the community thing is, is then then you're being known on message boards. You're making the right people. They're helping pick you up. But as well, you know, there is the thing of, you know, my friend Finn McKenty, who is one of the smartest marketers I know. He talk, talks a lot about the Instagram hashtag marketing. I don't know if you've seen that video, Andrew, but uh, if you haven't, I'll know. put it in the chat for your audience to see it. It's one of the best videos on marketing uh, you can watch. I'll, I'll okay. send it to you after the run. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Finn is fucking brilliant, and he runs a, like, massive, massive channel called the Punk Rock NBA. Um, but so you're doing all the marketing things that we all talk about with social media. You're talking to your community more, and there is, like, small best practices you can do on YouTube. But, yes, you're hoping for algorithmic success. So... One of the things I talk about is, is specifically what I also think is interesting is when you know your community and then you know your audiences, one of the things you talk about a lot is that then you know how to pitch the Spotify playlist uh, tool inside Spotify better. You know what to write in the pitch better. You know the things and then those pitches become more successful. One of the things I've seen in my own Facebook forum uh, is that uh, you're able to we're seeing people get better at these pitches and they're getting better things. Uh, placements yeah. in the playlist and everything and all of that is what doubles down it now i totally get the urge to want to buy the ads but especially during COVID, there's not really a lot of things we can do no one's going on tour no one's doing the thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but what i would argue is what i think goes way further is telling a really good story around your music and thinking about how you tell that story for weeks on end mm. and how you do that you know one of the things i talk so much about is like so i talk about this algorithm i see that there's a couple different legs to music promotion one of them is appealing to the algorithm and then another is amplifying your message so with the amplifying your messages part you're going to plan over eight weeks i say tell everybody you should push a song for eight weeks if the song is going astronomically well you may make that a little longer and delay the next single um the thing big labels do all the time uh you know, I talk often a lot, even like a group like Brockhampton. Brockhampton will promote a song for six to nine months when they know it's the right <laughs> song. And yeah. they'll make four videos and four versions for it. And they really go in. Uh, but so the point being, uh, so I like to make a single screen video, a lyric video, decimal visualizer, a music video, and then an alternate version. As for every song, I'm going to go hard on promoting. Um, and then you're going to have to find ways to take pictures from the music video, talk about the song's lyrics, yeah. show a behind the scenes video, do all the things and keep talking to all the different things that make sense for you and what your social media personality is so that that gives visibility. And then you keep building momentum because none of this is built in a day. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, one of the things I've been shouting forever is 
every one of your favorite bands had a terrible first release day and yeah. they pushed for nine months every one of them yeah no one had a good release day on, on their early songs see everything you're saying like i agree with the only thing i would say is like if you're gonna make this awesome story and build this community and make this dope video you know if you do the facebook ads the right way and your music's mm -hmm. solid enough i i don't think it can it can hurt unless you know you're doing it doing it wrong you're not ready but at the same like if someone wasn't ready to do ads i don't know if i'd tell them to go spend like one or two grand in a music video either well so here's an interesting thing why i don't know if i agree with that part of it is what you see with that is a lot of these artists do very well with that is their origin story and like a lot of what i focus mm -hmm. on is the actionable origin stories what you do see over and over again is this artist made a compelling video and they got it around their community and they did it. What I don't hear in the origin story all the time is the Facebook ads got them their early, early audience and it did it. And that's why I do focus on that. Now, I do agree with you that like, so I was talking, I got a little diverted about these like four times events. Let's <laughs> say you got 40,000 first streams and you had 10,000 the last one. I don't think it's a bad idea to take what you spent on some of that video like one third of that budget is a very common occurrence for smart marketers in anything uh related to content is to take about a third of the production budget and throw it as outreach outreach could be facebook ads for some people it may be even smarter to do you know if you were a prog, prog rock band i would turn to you first thing in that meeting and say go do reddit ads right now that works in your job for, for prog rock that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they're fucking nerds. They're fucking nerds. They're all fucking <laughs> literal cave dwelling yeah. nerds. We're sitting on message boards going, Oh, I don't like the pentatonic scale in the third measure. Oh. And I, I, I think, I think we're, we're allowed to say that cause I'm a huge prog metal fan. And I think you are too, right? As am I, I've worked a lot of prog rock. So I know this for, well. for, for all of you in the chat before you get, um, before you get sad about it, we're, we're also fans. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, we're demeaning ourselves and that's what it's always okay. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I see some stuff in the chat. Um, so there's there's people who who don't ag don't agree with you, which is which is mm -hmm. cool. Um, no, no. And there's I'm people not. who who agree with a lot of what you're saying, and some. And you know, just to kind of let everyone in the chat know, like no. we agree on a lot. And no. um, I I think you know at at the end of the day, there's a million approaches to doing all this stuff, and mm -hmm. things don't always work for everyone. Um, and, and and we should also say, you know. I think one of the dumbest things while I'm talking a lot about origin stories, yeah. everybody who imitates big artists isn't always doing the best thing for themselves. Paving yeah. your own path is a thing that actually big artists do all the time is they find a new yeah. path in a new way. What I like to call even exploits is finding what's the new thing that's working really, really, really well um, that no one's gotten hip to. There's been all sorts mm. of things like that through the past. I mean, you like know, the, the whole the whole TikTok thing is completely oh, new, yeah. and so many artists are blowing up on it. And oh yeah, uh, you know, there's oh, I just blanked out on what I was gonna say. Oh, oh, that, so the person I talked to yesterday again, one of his strategies was, you know, he he was more obsessed with quality than quantity. Even though nowadays it's like you kind of got to crank out music, um, but you know, obviously yeah. it has to be good, right? And mm -hmm. he, but he kind of went the approach of like, I'm just going to perfect this damn album that I've been wanting to do my whole life. Mm -hmm. And then he made this Zodiac album where he dropped a song and every day, the first Zodiac and just like, didn't tell anyone. And so it created oh. this weird, like talk between his community of like, why is this one called like Capricorn? This one's like score, you know, and people started putting uh -huh. together, oh, he's doing like a Zodiac thing. And then he just like 
keeps dropping this and it forms in this big album and it started all this hype and so that's kind of like a unique unique example too and it's a it's story and you know to get into the story thing is like why do stories work is something people are really skeptical about all the time but then you think about what a story is you're driving with your friends to the diner and they're like oh this person did this and then by the third you may have listened to that artist once like you know my favorite group is the 1975 i had a friend tell me about the 1975 four times i'm like shut the fuck up about that lame group and then finally I hit play again because I want to bond with my friends and I listen and then it hits and then they are a band that I've spent, you know, probably four to five hundred dollars supporting now and tell everybody about gotten them tons more fans. That, that's like, like me and Tool. I, I never liked oh, yeah. Tool. And then one day it just like clicked. And now they've been one of my yeah. favorite bands for like a decade. <laughs> so and, and that, but that's that is how the story is started is that the, when you do things that I call are eventful that you're able to say, hey, did you look at this thing? Fans talk about it like, oh, wow, did you see this latest video? Did you do the thing? When you do eventful things, it converts yeah. people over time. And that's why that stuff is important. As much as we can sometimes uh, look at that stuff and go, ah, what the fuck? I'm not doing that. It's like, that's <laughs> that's that's where it's made. And honestly, Story is, is like from every person I've talked to, mm -hmm. incredibly important. Like the most yes. important thing you can do I mean, like on one hand, the, the PR outreach, that's the only way they'll cover anything is if you have a solid story that they can talk about. Yep. And on the flip side, you know, if, if you are doing ads, which obviously I like, <laughs> I like ads, a story yes. will help your ads a ton if you have a cool message to send. And I, that's one thing that I've had trouble with for myself is like, you know, figuring out a cool story behind a release. And I know mm -hmm. it would probably make what I'm doing way, way more effective. Um, and sometimes I've gotten a cool story, even if it's simple and just like this song's about this, you know, and it's it's it helps the ads. But like in in PR or just like having fans get to like you, like everyone that I've talked to says story. It's like number one and on YouTube, like yeah. on YouTube, yeah. everyone I've talked to for like growing your channel and stuff. They always say the most important thing you can do is have every episode have some kind of story, even if it's like an education yep. video. You want there to be a narrative that pulls the person from start to the end because like humans are just mm -hmm. susceptible to, to stories you know where we all yeah, love yeah. a good story that, that book uh sapiens by yuval harari basically gets into that thing that if you even go back to caveman days that everything we've been doing is story like that you know his great one is that money is just a story we've told ourselves we <laughs> say this thing is valuable we all go sure this paper is worth a hundred dollars and yeah. yeah that makes sense but now sure, it's just a, a number on a because, screen <laughs> yeah but because we all believe the story that this is real we accept that it's a thing um and yeah i think that there's that, that interesting thing is that what you talked about with publicists is also a, a thing too is that like you know we all know that, you know, you bring bad music to the publicist. It's not going anywhere mm. anyway. But also, like, in addition, yes, the song can be so good and no one cares about the story. They're just like, wow, that's amazing. Very rare. Yeah. What is a reality is that a damn good story tied to a pretty good song starts a lot of careers. It doesn't sustain the career, but it starts a lot. And so, like, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, like, I don't know my story. I'm like, well... You need to dedicate more time because, like, honestly, the meetings I'm in, like, man, we spend a lot of time on that. And I spend I do a lot of calls on, you know, my consulting is like, OK, let's figure out your story. And like, you know, there are some actionable questions. There's some actionable things we can do. But, you know, the other problem becomes is, is like 
maybe you haven't lived enough to have the story sometimes too, or maybe you're uncomfortable with the story because it's something that you haven't dealt with. There's all mm. sorts of things to it. But then you can create a story. Like you're talking about that Zodiac guy. That's a fucking brilliant story. Yeah. Figure out the yeah. thing is that's a great story. That's very eventful. It's very smart. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to be it worked. I'm going to look it up after we're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool idea. And, and a lot of, you know, prog metal bands do concept albums and that kind of, yes. you know, they're all story based, but you know, a lot of the times a story will just be something simple about the person that makes them relatable. I've noticed, like if you look at a lot of big artists, just like, Hey, I'm so-and-so I make this style of music. I, I like this and I like this mm-hmm. and the, the, I like this and this, you know, when they say that, you know, for example, if I said, you know, I, I make future-based music, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I like um, I like playing video games or something. You know, like, whatever it was, if I was, like, if someone got in front of it and they just liked the song subtly, if they were mm-hmm. also a an engineer that liked uh, video games, they're going to feel more connected to me and we're going to be like, oh, sweet, me too. And it's pretty, like, some of these things would be like, you know, that's that's stupid. Like, how, what percent of people are going to be into that? But even if it's 0.1% of the country, what yeah. is that, like 300,000 people? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, the, uh, yeah. 0.1% would be 3 million, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Math. Is it 3.9? Either way. It's astounding how bad I am at it for something <laughs> I have to do all day. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> either, either way, it's a lot of people, whatever way you slice it. And yeah. it's enough to build a career on because, uh, you know... You, you are right. 390. Yes. Okay, okay cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so, yeah. It's enough. It's enough to do. Yeah. And like, and it's also the thing. Oh, I, so I like the, one of the like, people that works entrepreneur, like she has her own music and she's been doing well for a long time on it. She, her story is that, you know, she's a, she's a f- uh, female fronted rock project and she was mm-hmm. in the army. So a lot of people oh, who wow. support, um, you know, uh, veterans or people who are in the military, uh, supporter because of that you know it's like it's a hook it's the thing that gets them in and again how many people are in that well a freaking lot <laughs> you know a lot of people and it's also them. it's a seed and when i think a lot of people underestimate too with those stories is that that's just the launching pad for you oftentimes is that like if you get three thousand of those people who are evangelizing you telling more people that builds the army and I, you know as somebody uh who's built a following on YouTube, like, you know, it's like that you struggle for everything, but then eventually people do the work. Like, you know, I'm at the point, you know, I'm about 10 months into my YouTube thing and I'm about eight years into my book. And it was like, so funny, like with my book, I struggled to get everybody to read it. And now it's like, I don't have to do anything to get people to read that book because it's so popular. You know, it's taught in 12 universities. So people just get it when they're in school and then tell other people to get it. I needed, you know, the work is mostly done at this point. Um, And that is what happens with your music is when you get that initial evangelical seed and you have to find what that story is connected and eventually becomes people who don't have that commonality with you and that they're just appreciating your music. Yeah. By the way, fantastic job growing to 3,500 subscribers on YouTube in 10 months. That is. Oh, I appreciate that. That is bonkers fast like that usually does not happen <laughs> so um i mean i i, I know you have you know, audiences elsewhere and you probably have email lists and you had a forum and you got a facebook group but I, I, still it's, it's it's funny i haven't done you know a lot of uh what i've just done is the same thing i'm talking you know it's a funny thing i had a meeting yesterday with like the top podcast network and what they said and i think this is very interesting for uh 
your uh, listeners too, is that uh, the only way they see podcast growth is when the hosts go on other podcasts. Hmm. And they're like, we've thrown a bajillion dollars at this. Now, let's think about what podcasts are. Podcasts are just personalities discussing personality. So then we take this to music. So what is the number one thing that actually gets somebody to like a song hearing it? That works above all else. So the first thing we engineer is how do you get more people to hear that song? So what I find really interesting with all of this is that like most of those ways that we used to be able to do are now totally fucked. It used to be college radio was the great exploit. Mm-hmm. Like when we were talking about exploits before and so the audience follows along, a thing that people could easily do and find that could give you amazing results for very little effort or money. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's, and what I would argue though, which is really interesting right now, is if you make the right music that people still listen to in college radio, which is really just emo and indie <laughs> rock, that that still does work incredibly well because no one's promoting the college radio right now. And so it's incredibly cheap. So, but let's say you're doing something like you, like your songs are much more, uh, I, I guess you like to call your micro genre future based. Is that correct? Yeah, I usually say I'm an I'm a electronic pop artist, so I can be vague. Yeah. I do a lot of future bass. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, those both sound right to me of what I know the genre. Yeah. So the problem is, is like, where do you hear that? Well, because it's a really saturated market, a lot of it is in placements of things and things like that. So like, how do you get placements? Well, you need a team, you need a manager. So that's cut out the door. But so then what are the creative exploits to get people to hear the things these days? And I think sadly that the one that does exist is the DIY playlist promotion thing, which is that you like, I'm really into that thing. Um, have you seen playlist supply? Uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of just like a search engine for playlists, right? That's, that's correct. So yeah. then you find that and you try to pitch the people through that by doing some reverse engineering, some guesswork, trying to find and find the community. I unfortunately think like, you know, for a lot of saturated genres, like, you know, it's a funny thing um, to get me make people understand why I think that this is like one of the only ways that I think really works is that like you now have more. The estimate is that you have three times pe- more people making EDM than ever made rock music <laughs> in the world right now. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And so like just by nature of that. But what's interesting, though, is a mid-level EDM artist is bigger than like the biggest rock artist in monthly listens on Spotify. Right, yeah. So um, usually I say playlist promo, and obviously there's a lot of levels of playlist promotion. I yes. usually say it's like the lowest common denominator, like avoid it like the plague, because I, I see like such bad save rates, such bad repeat listen rates, like almost no follower growth. But getting playlists for free and, and like i feel yes. like that's you know that's free you know it's it's like if you yes. can't promote your music in any kind of paid fashion um you're gonna pay for it in your time because yes. you have to find the playlist and reach out and then the downside is if you hit up a playlist that's not a good fit you don't actually look at it you get into that problem of uh you're getting associated with a bunch of artists that are not correct. So your recommendations yes. get all, all skewed. And like for the longest time, you know, I spent 2019 trying every playlist promotion method I could possibly find from just emailing people <laughs> or hitting them up on social media to hiring uh, sketchy ass playlist promotion companies to mm-hmm. using um, Submit Hub and Playlist Push. Yeah. 
Um, we should we should be clear that all playlist promotion companies are sketchy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, so like, the the nice the the good thing, in my opinion, at least for for submit hub mm-hmm. and playlist push, is at the end of yes. the day they're a they're a truly a pitch. And the reason why well, I know por- I, I, don't, I don't call them a playlist company, I call them a portal. Right. I think right, and there are a lot of sketchy people on there. Um, yes. But I'm also a curator on both submit hub and playlist push. Oh, interesting. So what do you do on there? <laughs> so people. You know, they pay per credits to submit their songs. Yes, so on yeah, Submit I, Hub, they pay and they get to pick the platform, right? So they can check out my playlist mm-hmm. and decide if they want to pitch to me. I can either uh, accept it and add it or I can reject it and tell them why I'm yeah. rejecting it. And so, so you, what it is is that you have playlists, not a blog. Uh, I have you playlists, to. Spotify playlists. Gotcha. Um, and I originally grew them to like, you know, I get sick of trying to send my music to playlisters, right? So I was like, I'm just going to make my own playlist <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. I control the traffic. I control the songs. I know my music's going to be in there when it comes out. Um, and then they got big. And so I kind of let people get on them. But yeah, and this I is had, what every label is te- is doing and what every label tells a band to do now. Like my girlfriend yeah. does this all day for artists, like the big indie artists. Like, you know, she's texting me yesterday, like, oh, I'm doing this playlist for Guar and like, you know, <laughs> da, 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 da. And like, but that yeah. is the reality is like, that's what you got to do now. Yeah, and it uh, you know, it's it doesn't get you like playlists never get you that high save rate, and you don't get a lot of followers and repeat listens. But at least with the submit hub and the playlist push, or you owning your own playlist, you can control the the whole like messed up algorithm problem. Because mm-hmm. I've had plenty of times, like in 2019, when I was doing other playlist stuff, I never once get any algorithmic promotion on Spotify. I never once get a fans also like section. It wasn't until I went, really wow yeah yeah, and it wasn't until um. February or May, a couple songs into doing Facebook ads, um, it was when I started getting like every single song would get put on a big release radar boost and then eventually get on Discover Weekly. And then also I started getting fans also like that were pretty good. And, and it's at the point mm-hmm. now where like some people I've collaborated with are showing up there. Um, and, you know, like I have no way of proving what caused like, yes. each thing, but the correlation is so great to me that. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't dispute it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I've seen it firsthand, like on campaigns I've worked. And this is, you know, another thing, whether it's Facebook ads or approaching too many bad playlists, is that the fans also like just gets destroyed and it becomes <laughs> so bad and so inaccurate that it does you absolutely no favors. Whereas yeah. like, and this is yet, yet again to go back to my community thing, like, you know, I had a night, let's say on average, I add to this like, I have a playlist where it's just songs I like, not a full album or an artist. Hmm. Uh, and let's say I add about 10 a month. I had a night I added like 30 from finally finding, it was actually these artists I was talking about before, Alden and Glaive. And then I just clicked through their fans similar. And I have this night where I find three times as much as I normally in a month in a single night. <laughs> uh, from that, because that was all organic plays. But what was interesting is, is then when I do some digging around, it's like, oh, well, they're all on this one influencer uh, this playlist, mm. uh, Mascarella, and then that's making the community. And this is like what I keep, and you know, like what I think is interesting when I was asking about your playlist is like having a community that's like very curated around a specific genre and really keeping that, doing those playlists. Like one of the biggest things I tell artists to do all the time is like all these people you find in your community, you should be trading playlists. You should be doing all the things where you can literally link yourselves into each other because if you yeah. both are doing that, you're going to really, really do yourselves phaser and bring people up. And 
you know, for example, I managed this band called Man Overboard uh, about 10 years ago. And what we did a lot was we would do this thing called the podcast mixtape and we put it on Bandcamp and we'd just <laughs> get the rights to all our friends' songs and we would just talk in between the songs a little. Like it was a radio show, make it, we'd make it in about two yeah. hours. But that linked all those bands together and all those bands would tell us like, oh yeah, every show we go to, there's 10 kids who are like, we heard you through that thing and it mm. brought all of us up bigger because that interlocking is the big thing and that's what the power of playlists are right now is that interlocking and that fans all also listen to. Yeah, I think artists trading playlists is, is great. And I, I've done, I haven't had many opportunities to do it because not a lot of artists I know um, in the same niche have, have their own playlists like, like I do. Um, but I have one, like there's one person who submitted to me on Submit Hub and I liked his song a lot and put it in multiple playlists. And then so I hit him up on Instagram and I was you know, like, hey, I see you have some playlists too. And I was like, hey, I'll I'll, I'll add like a couple couple of your songs to some of mine if, if you'd be you know willing to add mine to yours. And um, it's been on there months later and, and it's been helpful. So now I, for me, like I recommend people put like small amounts of money into like Submit Hub or something and be really selectful mm -hmm. of what they pitch to. But I think your, I, your I strategy you. of like the, or I guess organic reach out, if the person has the time, you know, it's, yes. it's free. And if anyone replies and says, like, we'll do it for a donation of $20, like, right. tell them to go screw themselves, you know, yes, basically. Yes, yes, that, that's just saying, but, but you made a good point there that people should should hear, which is that submit hub should not be that you wake up one day and, you know, you get your Trump bucks in the mail and you go, I have $1,200 to spend on this. <laughs> what you really should do is open submit hub and see how many things are actually worth it to do? Like if I'm sitting on this playlist, are people going to say, oh yes, this is someone so similar. This is it, this is worth my time actually being on instead of what I think most people do, which is carpet bomb the fuck out of every playlist that comes up when they type rock. Oh yeah, I, I get totally so many releases that they might be technically the right genre, but I, most, mm -hmm. the biggest reason I reject people is like, this just would not work in my playlist. Like, and not a lot of yeah, times, it's not even close. It's not very often that the music's not good. It's, it's usually mm -hmm. like my feedback is usually something along of like, the vocalist is awesome. The production's great. The mix and master's great. It's just like too soft or too heavy or the melody doesn't fit or it's too R&B or whatever. And um, yep. yeah, a lot of bands do that and they waste, waste a lot of money and time. I mean, and it, you know, it, and, and, and I'm doing myself a disservice by telling people that, right? Because the more people that do that, the more like money that they send my way. But I still well, tell people. that's why you're an honest man, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, it's it's like, you know, I, I'd rather have artists like save their money and, and have like people submit their songs to me that actually have a shot in the playlist, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and, you know, whether it's that Playlisters Club, Playlist Push, whatever, I think, yes, it's worth it to do look down the road because... You know, the other thing I, I tell people, though, with the playlist and why it, it is important to, to do this is there's very few things that you could put very little effort into that could be ex life changing to you. And the little effort you put into figuring out how to do a really good pitch on the Spotify playlist tool inside Spotify for mm -hmm. us, probably the 50 words that could be most life changing to you if it works out. So like, not just do it writing, you know what it is, 
really, really helps. And it's the yeah. same thing with the, the, the submit hub stuff is that there is a lot of playlists that are very influential on there that mm. are checking things and that can do it. You just have to not do it in a dumb fucking way. Yeah. And I feel like there is some science, maybe not science, but art in, in the Spotify playlist tool. I mean, you know, it's very competitive and yes. you should never rely on getting on a Spotify editorial playlist. Like, out of the 50 or so songs I've uploaded and pitched, I've gotten one mm. on a Spotify editorial playlist, but it probably mm. got me 40,000 streams and it stayed on there for three months. So it oh, was, you know, that's good. it was five minutes of effort um, to mm -hmm. kind of think about the pitch in a, in a way. And, you know, my, my strategy is like, talk about the message behind the song for part of it, and then talk about mm -hmm. how you're promoting it and how you're prioritizing Spotify as the place you're sending people to the other half of it so that like, you know, they they feel like there's a benefit to them. You know, you're going to send people to the platform, which I, you know, maybe they don't care about, but I have a feeling they do. <laughs> yes. Um, I, 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 from what I know of having friends who pitch and talk to the people is they do have a dashboard where they can see a lot of metrics. You want to hear something interesting, though? I, I want to get this confirmed, is that apparently Spotify now ignores the pre-save. So pre-saves don't technically exist. Well, the save at all is not a metric, I swear I should say. So like all oh, the you're things saying that the people save. do, like when people are, you still see all these artists who are like, ooh, pre-save my song, pre-save my song, and they think that's going to get them the editorial. But the editorial doesn't check that apparently. Oh, yeah, they those that's yeah. true because they, they actually can't. Yeah. The I don't know if you're familiar with how the um, yeah. the APIs like program in the pre-saves. I don't know. I actually don't know this. So. This is like this blew my mind when I saw it because like a lot of people do promote those pre-save campaigns like they're yeah, gold. I, but the thing is, the living shit out of me. The, the way it works. So when you go to like your district hyperfollow or like your toned end pre-save page, yeah. When you click a pre-save, you know how it makes you like log into your Spotify account. Yes. It it integrates with the Spotify API, which is the programming interface mm -hmm. kind of thing, um, and it stores the users um, like encryption codes for their username and their, their password, like it logs them in and it stores mm -hmm. the user code and it stores the ID of the song. And then on release day, it goes in and saves it on day one. So the save never occurs until, and actually yes. you, on some of these platforms, okay. you can so actually, you can pick the time. So you can say, I want all my saves to happen at 7 a.m. or I want to have some of them spread out or I want them to happen at 10 p.m. Huh. So um, the fact, and I've heard, yeah. I've heard people say that like, oh, you gotta get all these pre-saves so the editorial sees it. They can't see it because yeah. they haven't yeah. happened. <laughs> and, and then, so this is confirming what, what, what I was told, which is yeah. that like all these people think that this is going to be the thing that makes breaks them. And like I have a very big thing that I don't think you should promote songs very much before people can hear them. I think hmm. teasing and countdown clocks is a waste of time because you should be wasting your you should be using your posts and that time that you get anybody's attention by actually giving them something they can build a relationship with. And so to me, this pre-save thing is like, oh, bullet in the head uh, because they think it's doing yet again. Another thing like where you think you're solving a problem when you're not solving a problem at all. Yeah. So on, on the note about promoting before release, like I, I don't I don't do the pre-save thing. Like I've tried it. But then once I learned that, I was like, well, screw that. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> then uh, what I do is like two weeks before the release, I'll put like the a picture of the artwork and then like a week before release mm -hmm. i'll put like a 20 second 30 second sample of the song um and i might tease other things before that like show the and again like this year has been a bad example 
because I've just been so yes. busy <laughs> with, with all the other stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But that's that's what I strive to do and like put like little piece of content, like showing the production or, or whatever, take some pictures and tell a story about something um, before the song comes out. So do you think that's not really a good strategy either? Or I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I do not. Um, OK, because what I find is is that you it's so rare we can get people's attention these days it's so hard to get people's attention so what you have is you have all these you know i i talk about that there's four levels of fans that are interested in you at any time uh there's the potential fan who's never heard of you there's the i've heard them i guess i could hear from some of them again there's somebody who likes what you do and then there's a super fan so really you know we're trying the super fans they're just gonna like what you do so the really the other yeah. three is what we are concerned with and all three of those other three, when you're posting teases, is it's a, a lost chance to build a deeper relationship with you. So every time, let's say you actually got their attention, it was really ineffective. Whereas like, you know, so you make a lot of electronic music. Uh, you have this cool gear in the back of you. And most people who like uh, synth music are that are musicians are modular synth nerds, or at least they aspire to be and want to learn more about it. If you do this and it's like, well, and I'm not saying you do this, but like what I do see a lot of people do is like, here's a behind the scenes and me tweaking this synth. But like, whereas if you haven't heard that song and you think it's good and you see that you're like, oh, I want to watch more of that. Whereas when mm. you haven't heard that song, you're like, hmm, okay, yeah, another guy on my fucking social media who has a synth. Ooh, wow, never <laughs> seen that before. <laughs> um, so like, what I would say is like the song and the content are a circle that keeps the relationship building happening. And so like when it's post release, so I really focus on those two months after now, do mm. I think it's not bad to set to prep a fan with one post and say, Hey, new music coming on Friday. Absolutely. Do do the one queue up, but the countdown clocks. Oh yeah. That, I, I really don't like when people do like daily posts and it's like, oh day seven and they tell us yeah. i mean like there's some that are done well where they tell a really cool story like day by day mm -hmm. and it's related to the song and there's cool visuals but like it's yeah. pretty it's, those are more rare than the people who are just like five days left four days yeah. left and it's just you no know. it, it could all be contextualized better by doing it in a way that builds relationships with the song afterwards and when it's out and it's able to be made relationships with, what people don't get is they're imitating Jay-Z who's doing this. Who Jay-Z has the thing of everybody knows who he is. So he has to take right. all the attention to try to make people know, hey, on the first day this comes out, I'm trying to make a big splash because the most sales I'm ever going to have is the first week. There's no fucking chance in the world your first day sales are going to do anything for you. And it's what I always tell everybody. It's like you need to be thinking about what's going to be happening in nine to 18 months, not what's happening in nine days. Hmm. Yeah. And, and on that note, have you have you noticed that the more traction you can get in the first like week of your song, on, on, at least on Spotify, that it seems to set the song up better long term? Like you won't necessarily get the most streams and saves on the first week, but the more you get in that first week, the more likely you are to hit algorithmic playlist or whatever down the line. I, I'm sure you've seen this with browse features on your YouTube videos, too is this is a definitely a, a, a thing that seems to happen is how big a splash you can make in the first few days does seem yeah. to set things up to make it a little bit easier. It seems to give some algorithmic favoritism. But what is interesting is you can have all these other events that happen that told you that. So example, um, 
I manage this one band. Uh, and, you know, it was like that funny thing. They were putting out, uh, out songs and, you know, it's all going well. The album's coming out well. You know, they're poised for things. They're about 100,000 monthlies uh, going into it. But what's funny is, you know, you get a big feature in the middle of that that really brings some new people in. It will do the tidal wave. Like, you can have yeah. events that change that trajectory. But, yes, you are correct. That the most common story, if you don't have a trajectory changer, is going to be that however much of a splash you make the first week you do it. It's even like one of the things, like, you know, one of the things I've been telling a lot of people, I'm a, if any of you are listening right now, it's like, people are like, all right, I'm gearing up for to release in two weeks. I'm like, you know, there's going to be an election where there's <laughs> going to be mass riots in the streets, most likely, for a few weeks. And I don't know if you remember during Black Lives Matter when they asked everybody to stop posting so that the police brutality would shine through and everybody got shamed for posting. Putting oh, out the yeah. song that you've worked on for years on November 4th, really bad idea my dude yeah yeah i mean the whole even just the holiday season is kind of rough right because yeah i mean like people are focused on different things and especially for facebook ads this is like i've been telling a lot of people i talk to uh in consultations when they're like planning a song it's like end of november end of december i'm like ad costs go up a lot around holiday season you know and well here, here's an interesting thing too with the end of the year and like so there used to be a thing i you know i've been unfortunately in this business or fortunately for better or worse uh since the days of like when retail was everything and mm-hmm. we would never put something out from november 15th to january 23rd and that was not just our <laughs> label that was every label because the distributors yeah. would tell you they're just going to focus on all the big releases the year. They're just going to bring it in. And what's changed now in the internet era is that people put out all these year-end lists and everybody gets engulfed in hearing what they didn't hear all year. That's going to happen right. music fans. And yeah. I'm sure you do it. I do it. It's like I'm all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, I didn't listen to that Phoebe Bridgers record. Maybe I should give it a second try. And then the next thing I know is 30 yeah. days later, I've <laughs> listened to nothing but that Phoebe Bridgers record. And there's yeah. those the other new music that came out i've been like trying to to get a song ready to launch before like thanksgiving week so that i don't get screwed and because like last year what i did is i dropped an album on my birthday and then i didn't mm-hmm. release which is october 25th and i i didn't um huh. put anything out for the rest of the year because that was kind of the strategy we're like i really don't want to touch holiday with a 10-foot pole um, yeah 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 because it's just kind of like I mean, one it's harder on, on you because you're like going to family stuff i mean now it's mm-hmm. this year's kind of weird anyway so maybe yeah, it'll change yeah. <laughs> because like yeah. everyone's in, inside and stuff so much more that maybe it this will actually be better than a normal year but yeah the election's I, I, I also nuts so <laughs> Yeah, and I've made a real uh, interesting argument. A lot of people have been scared to put music out. I'm like, I think people are bonding with music in a way they haven't in a really, really long time in that they like, you know, you needed like we're all having some of the weirdest emotions. And, you know, like one of the funny things is like as you get a little older is like you can feel a little emotionally dead inside. Everybody I know who felt that way. Uh, they're feeling pretty lively emotionally lately because this is a fucking whirlwind of a time. And yeah, like giving people, you know, I like one of the things I talk about in my book on creativity and music uh, is that like people forget that music is what it really, I mean, one, it's an emotional connection, but two is it's a way to change the emotion you're currently feeling to a different one hmm. or to give yeah. comfort to the one you're doing. And so people need music when they're feeling new things and people i don't think there's a single person in america who's not felt new things <laughs> since march 18th <laughs> right yeah totally and and some some artists like i've seen a lot in groups where people will 
you know, they were originally going to have a song come out and they pushed it because of something that happened this year. Yeah. You know, one of the multiple times we've had some kind of disaster. Um, and then they pushed <laughs> it. And on the flip side, some people have done the opposite and said, well, this is the time to jump on. And they put out like twice as much music as normal. And they've been growing a lot because of it. Um, and some people have even, I don't want to say milked it, because that's yeah, you know, but like well, well, utilized it, like it, they've exploited like, the exploited the open exploit. Yeah, which and, is what you're supposed to do in marketing. And and like like one one guy that I, I helped with their um, they were doing some Facebook campaigns. I uh, he went out to like a, a protest and they filmed to like the song him like with hmm. a, with a megaphone and they made this like cartoon art as the cover him as a megaphone in this big protest and they huh. they. In, in the ad, it was it was difficult to use that because of Facebook's rules against social issues, right? You can't promote any social issues. Um, but we ended up using it, and that was their kind of strategy. Like, people are all talking about this. Let's make a song that talks about this artist's perspective on it. And they went to a protest and shot footage for it. On the one hand, that's kind of exploiting a, a sensitive topic. But on the other hand, mm -hmm. they their message was positive. Yeah, so it's, it's, I, I think if it's authentic, it's fine. I mean, yeah, I, I, my big thing is, is that we all have become, you know, masters of detecting authenticity and that right. stuff falls flat if it's not authentic, you know? Yeah, I um, like I'm all for someone showing their message on their website or the mm -hmm. email, but it gets so exhausting nowadays when you go on someone's website and they have some message at the top just so that they can say that they had that message there. And you know that they like maybe they care but they jumped on it so late where it just feels a little weird right and yeah, well you're you're detecting a lack of authenticity yeah and, and i'd almost rather they just just didn't get involved you know just kind of stayed in the middle and just you know this this is not what we do we're like a shoe company or no. whatever you know we're, we're, <laughs> yeah yeah one of my i do this funny podcast uh called killed by desk and it's about musicians life after they've been in a big band where they have a day job and the, one of the host's day job is he has to write the messages from companies about like social issues. Oh, <laughs> just, just to say that he has uh, one of the most miserable <laughs> jobs I know of. It's like right next to Grave Digger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know, every company does it. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just like listening to a politician, right? It's like, you know, yeah. that they're a lot of times saying whatever they got to do to make people feel more confident in their platform. But yeah. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> oh, so, so, yeah, sorry, sorry, I diverted that, <laughs> that ship there. No, I mean, I'm sure everyone's thinking about it. You know, like yeah. I, a lot of people that I've 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 talked to this year are have been severely impacted by one of the mm -hmm. many things we've had. You know, this year, like, yep. whether it be COVID or all the Black Lives Matter stuff happening, I'm gonna have to like bleep myself saying that because I feel like YouTube is gonna like flag me for saying uh, social issues or whatever. But um, oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That they're like so honed into that right now. They That's used so to um, unmonetize videos for saying COVID. Now they stopped doing yeah. that. But um, I know I, I, one of one of mine where I just talk about should you release music during COVID's unmonetized. Yeah. Yeah. And then I accidentally left some in one video and it, they seem to be back to, you know, realizing that everyone's talking, literally everyone. It's impossible not yeah. to bring it up. I mean, it's affecting the whole yeah. world. But a lot of artists like. I've talked to people who like, this is going to be my biggest year ever. Mm -hmm. I had all these shows lined up um, and all of a sudden the whole year's canceled. And now they have to make this gigantic shift because a lot of these people were 
in person only like shows mm -hmm. meeting yeah. people shaking hands networking with people in person all of that just instantly stops and they don't know what to do right because they and some of these people aren't very good at computers either like they don't do social media yeah. much and they're kind of thrown into this position and you know it's probably why like my channel has grown a lot this year because i yeah, it's yeah, all yeah, i yeah. literally all i talk about is growing online yeah. i don't i don't do the in-person thing right yeah yeah um, so literally all i do I, I joke that i sit in this room i call it the content ranch <laughs> I, I i just say to my girlfriend I'm like just another day on the content ranch just sat in here making podcasts and youtubes and and chatting yeah. away with people about how they make their content just another day yeah <laughs> <laughs> what is that picture behind you that we've all been looking at this whole time? By the so way? this is the cover of my book on creativity and music. And that is my gold record for a record called uh, from a band called Census Fail. Let it inform hmm. you that I got this year. Uh, Census Fail. I feel like I listened to them when I was a teenager. That sounds right, because that's when you listen to them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 28. So that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds exactly right. Yeah. It would be 2003 it would have come out, so. Oh, damn. I remember this album still searching. And Let It yeah. Unfold. So this is, yeah, Let It Unfold is the one I worked on. Oh, sick. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats. Gold record. That's yes, thank you. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's the funny thing I say about it is, is most of my record, favorite records are not gold or platinum records. Yeah. So in some ways, it's like, that but it's nice to see to be like okay you were a part of a thing that affected a lot of people it's a nice thing and uh to yeah. be frank with you i don't do a lot of uh youtube videos in this room but let's just say the second i did one in here i felt like people trusted me more for some dumb reason <laughs> yeah i, I <laughs> so learned I an interesting thing about those records yeah. is they make you pay to send them to you three hundred dollars yeah a lot of people I don't know did, that. I, I, I did i had to just do it some people get very lucky and the record label buys it for everything. Uh, yeah. But uh, the record label that put this record out uh, does not exist anymore. Oh, well, that's a that's a sad story. <laughs> is that, yeah. yeah. I, I, well, it's that funny thing, though, is like, you know, you see, because streaming has monetized back out. So, you know, a lot of what I did at Atlantic Warner was, you know, they had gotten the clue that now that back catalog is so monetized, make mm -hmm. content around classic records and reignite those sales. So... Yeah. Uh, you're able to now do do big things with that. And so you see so many of these records now going gold and platinum that never did because the thing, but you know, some of the inputs they're on sure don't exist anymore because <laughs> you know, the average indie label has a, uh, the average indie label that ever gets one gold record only has a six year lifespan. Huh? Wow. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot about the, um, the, in the label world a lot of people don't realize and, and i probably only know a very tiny bit you know because i learned a lot just hearing you hear you talk about behind the scenes but i learned that label thing i mean that that um that the gold record thing because i recorded a studio where the guy who owned it like um he was one of the engineers on american idiot by green day oh nice and yeah. so we Pretty saw a record yeah and then he he we started in the studio and we're like you know i was asking him like what'd you what are you doing this? Like, how do you, you know, how, how does this work? Like, you know, he's just like, well, actually they make everyone pay for it. That if you get numb. And I was like, what? <laughs> like yep. do you, if you got a gold, gold is a million, right? Or is it? Gold is actually 500,000 million is uh, 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 platinum is a million. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, man, they sold a million copies of this album and they won't even give you a $300 <laughs> plaque. 
but I guess it's uh, whatever. Yeah, the, the music business is not what it used to be. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the other thing I was not not appreciative of is like I can remember um, I had a, around 1999. I had a really I had some like top 40 hits and stuff I had worked on, and I'd go to the major labels and be like feast upon our things and just the treatment i'm like all right i'm gonna work start working at a major label and it's like you will get nothing they'll bring your own coffee (laughs) (laughs) it really was that bad like oh you want coffee here's the worst coffee we found so you will never use it we won't have to pay for it oh we'll barely clean the toilets too oh wow i mean like the music industry it's one of the most competitive and also most underpaid industries out there like it's yeah you like almost any other career path would probably make your life easier. Um, and it's just kind of how it is. Right. I mean, like there are a lot of, there is a lot of money to be made, you know, but a lot of it's not in the artist world as much as it is in like, like production or, or engineering or, uh, marketing or whatever, or, you know, um, publishing even like there's a lot of other paths that make more money than being the artist itself. So as you know, it's a very hard world and a lot of people don't realize it when, when I get messages like this is like releasing a song a month is, is, is just it's really hard. I'm like, it's, you know, this is what people are doing. It's a competitive yeah. industry. It, it's it's hard to break. And it's, you know, it's. <laughs> it, 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 but it is that funny thing. Is it has weeded a lot of people out, which is a good thing. I, you know, I will tell you, I had a very depressing around 2008. It was like debilitating at times dealing with how many people were just really putting no effort into being in a band and doing things Mm. and just thinking that like oh well i'm hot and um you can now auto tune and edit drum edit everything and it'll all work out and i was doing these terrible pop punk bands and like having some successes with them that were like fully manufactured and it was you know record labels were signing 15 year olds it was mm. like it was really bad and i think we're in a much better place now and you know to give the hope to some people too what's very interesting is is like if so let's say spotify started chart i'm not saying they're going to do this to be clear but here's <laughs> the hypothetical spotify moves up their price to 20 dollars and they would never double the musician royalty rate unless we put guns to their head and threaten to burn down their offices. Mm. Uh, but if they doubled the rate for everybody, even just double, I know a lot of us talk about it should be a penny a stream, but even doubling would be such a substantive thing in the change of life for musicians who do a little well and yeah. for how much money it would put into the music business. It would be a astronomical shift because we have to remember Spotify is 80% of streams for most artists. Like you're going to see the other stream services are about 20. We're not counting YouTube. Um, But if we're calling Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, Pandora, whatever the fuck. So it would be a really, really huge difference. And the other ones would follow suit. You know, YouTube, I'm sure, will still be the worst paying thing because God hates us. Uh, But (laughs) regardless, uh, it, it could really be a thing. And I think that there will also be a very interesting thing is that there are so many people working on these blockchain things and they kind of things that you there, there is some hope that we will see somewhat better financial uh, benefits for musicians in the future that I think hmm. will be demanded um, because I should say for the audience, my, my other job is uh, I'm very knowledgeable in politics. And the one thing you see is this thing called the dialectic, which is when things get bad the pendulum swings the other way because they eventually get so bad that people get very angry. 
country. And I think we're right. about there. If if my Facebook feed is, is is any indication, we're about there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I brought this up when you know when you had that Daniel Eck statement where he was saying how musicians yeah. need to put out more music and you know, my, my argument was mostly siding with him because it was like, well, this is what I've already been telling people to do, right? Like put out more music and all that. Yes. Um, and my justification, you know, everyone was saying like Spotify needs to pay artists more. And while I would love that, um, if just Spotify raised their prices, they would go out of business because they weren't even profitable until like two years ago. And they're yep. not much. They're not very profitable now. Even they're like just slightly yeah. above. Um, although I think the 2020 is an exception. I think they've done fantastic yeah. this year. Um, but but, but the, here's the interesting thing, though, too, is like when we talk about their profit, they don't split the profits properly. Like we have to remember the whole reason Spotify has spent a half a billion dollars on podcasts is because then for somebody for 60 minutes listens to something that costs them nothing to do. You know, co podcasts cost about six hundred dollars to produce. Uh, hmm. So like when you pay Joe Rogan one hundred million dollars and people are listening to three and a half hour episodes instead of fucking streaming. Ooh, sure works out for their profit margin, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, if you're streaming three and a half hours of music, they're just getting siphoned. Oh, right. Whereas paying oh, off oh, yeah, because they, they don't pay podcasters anything. Right. No, I mean, like, so, if you, for example, I told you this before we were rolling, but uh, so I produce one of the top 30 podcasts in the entire world. And we don't get a fucking dollar when Spotify plays anything. Right. Yeah. And, you know, apparently they're going to start putting their own ads into things. And then we're going to get some revenue shares like YouTube does. And you're going to opt in like YouTube does in the future. I'm sure that is their plan yeah. because it'd be stupid for them to not do that. But still an hour of programming. I mean, and that's 12 songs times, you know, the hundred million people they have listening to music in a given month. It's a yeah. lot of fucking money. So in, in a way, that, and that's why in a way, having more podcasts on Spotify um, could be a path forth to actually paying more per song if they were willing to so, let go of that cash and that extra profit. So the analysis when you read, there's a couple of really smart people who like put out white papers about this, like major labels. And when, I, when I've been lucky enough to have them leaked to me, the gamble Spotify has is that at some point they're going to get pressured that musicians need to raise, whether it's by government mandate from people, just musicians unions going to the right congressman and getting this through the law onto people being with pitchforks out their office, whatever scenario it is, they know it's coming. Yeah. Um, my money is on some congressman making it happen. There's been a lot of legislation for musicians. Congressmen love to support musicians because they're around them and they communicate with them. It is a thing that gets done. But the point being, at some point, they're going to have to pay more. Even yeah. if that is two times, even though I believe it should be about a hundred times, it is substantially more money. Let's say it's four times, which I'd say, which I've read is the best case scenario. Four times goes from being thirty thousand dollars a year if you're making that from music to one hundred twenty thousand, where you yeah. can do a lot of more interesting things and have a lot better life. Much yeah. like you know, nineteen ninety nine was the peak of compensation for musicians, um, and then it's all been downhill since there and pretty much flattened out in the last three years. Uh, it would be a really, really substantive thing. I was in the music business in 1999. I was very young then, but like it was a much different time. You know, a, the budgets we get now for records on indie labels are and major labels are about one seventh to one tenth of what they were. 
Wow. So it's not just the indies that are hurting. It's also the labels that are hurting. Oh, yeah. Everything is done way more lean. Just just Hmm. how can we get this done for as little as possible? (laughs) Jesus. I heard that UM, uh, Universal Music Group just made like a like a hundred million dollar hotel, too. And so I like yeah. a lot of a lot of stuff like that in the music industry where like they obviously have money, but I wonder if it's more like on it's more on they're taking out a, a debt on a gamble because I like they're saying they're gonna have live music in these hotels and it's gonna be a music themed almost like a Disney resort, but what, from a music company. If you think of this way to it, like what are you and I doing? We have a bunch of different things going on. You have, you know, your Patreon, you have your other things. All the major labels are doing a very similar thing. You know, one of the most funny things that Warner Music Group, you know, for example, I was in charge of, uh, I was doing podcast production. Mm-hmm. So we were moving into bringing in podcasts, doing things, making things around it, because it all circled back to promotion. You know, if we're doing even a sports podcast or a news podcast, and we were able to advertise on the network, the podcast we'd be doing like we had a group and one of the biggest acapella groups in the world had a podcast they put an ad on that it lifts them up and it lifts everything up they did a really interesting move while i was there where they bought this website called uprocks so if people don't know uprocks is a entertainment website but now all of a sudden they have one of the most popular websites where they could say oh you don't want to write that article on earnest no i think you're writing that article on earnest (laughs) and now they have a bunch of tweets from a very big account and a bunch of coverage. And, oh, look at that. They're on the cover, whereas all the non-mortar music artists are on a little bit of a smaller thing because mm. it doesn't matter about their bottom line. It matters that they are getting more publicity for their artists because this, you know, we have to remember, you know, so I, the thing I work for for the podcast is the Daily Beast. We're one of the largest news organizations, but we are just a write-off loss for Match.com and OkCupid. <laughs> and the Washington Post, the second biggest newspaper, is just a write-off loss because Amazon owns it. Like, right, that's yeah, the world it's, we it's, live it's in. It's kind of like for um, for like if if Apple Music doesn't have to be remotely profitable mm-hmm. because it's owned by Apple, or Amazon uh, Music Apple doesn't Mus- have to be profitable because it's owned by Amazon. And you make a good point here because Apple Music is not profitable at all. It's just that Apple knows that they need a product. Well, and you know, Apple is the fastest company to a billion and two billion. They've doubled the thing faster than any company has ever done in the history. And they don't give a flying fuck. It is a loss <laughs> that they don't care about the least bit at all yeah. because they know they need an ecosystem to keep those other billions of dollars flowing into that fucking app store because you yeah. got a candy crush. 